All right, and we are live. Welcome to V Radio, folks. We are proud to present uh, Peter. How would I best pronounce your last name? It's like explosion with a B, Bogosian explosion. Bogosian explosion. I like that. Um, Thank you. So I ran, I, for, I ran for vice president or president. I can't remember in my of my seventh grade class. My my uh, my tagline was "Vote for Bogosian, and there'll be an explosion." <laughs> <laughs> it's a true story. I like that. So um, I learned about you uh, on the Joe Rogan podcast specifically that was about a topic that you've talked to death. So we're not going to make you do that today. But oh, my, my second Rogan interview then. Yeah, the grievance study stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, I didn't know there was two. Now I'll have to go back yeah. and look at the other one. Um, so in any case, uh, what I learned was that I feel is important that I think overall will be um, relevant regardless is just that you know, science and social sciences in particular that we use to kind of help understand the world are completely compromised. And that's Correct. really dangerous. Correct. But before we get into that conversation, the first question I usually ask all guests is, um, what was the precipice for you? What was the moment that made you go from, okay, I got this normal life, you know, I'm doing okay to no, wait a minute, the, the, the world is messed up. I, I really got to get involved right now. That's a really interesting question. Um, no one's ever asked me that before. I think, uh, let me think. Um, the moment the moment was when the university where I used to teach, where I resigned, uh, you can read my letter of resignation on Twitter, was when they started instituting policies that I found bizarre, but I was completely open to them and I would ask colleagues what the evidence for these policies were and they would tell me that my asking for evidence for the policies was a microaggression. Asking for evidence for the policies was a microaggression. So that that <laughs> that so that was a that was a, asking uh, questions is a microaggression. <laughs> yeah, a asking a not even asking questions, asking about what the evidence for something is is a right. microaggression. That is should be as far from a microaggression. That I mean, it, it was so that was a that was a a clarion call, a wake up moment, a kind of a holy. Can I swear in your podcast? Oh yeah, yeah, you totally can. Yeah, it was like a holy shit moment. Like, what the f like? Are you like? What are you even talking about? Uh, but then the, the, there were other, there are other precipice moments. I guess in my case, I just kept kept, kept going down the precipice. There came ever increasing, steeper, steeper precipices. <laughs> the more I learned about the madness, the more insane, the more truly deranged it became. And then I kept finding another a precipice to step off of. So, yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense, and I um. I've talked to a lot of guys in your position. Like one of my friends is Paul Rossi. Did you ever oh, get I know a chance Paul. to talk yeah, to Paul? Paul, super good guy. Yeah, yeah. He also just started a YouTube channel recently. I had been kind of twisting his arm about that. I'm glad that he finally did it. But it's really just that, you know, my precipice was way back in like 2008, but it had just had to do with like um, the Iraq war was going on and all of that. Um, and that was kind of like a moment for me that radicalized me just a little bit that's like the v moniker is because of the london speech where he's telling people you know like if you if you're looking for the guilty you need only look in a mirror it was like kind of a moment of like you need to get involved in this or you're basically part of the problem 
Um, you know, so my pol political beliefs have transformed over the years to different things, but it's kind of central to the core that I've always been really obsessed with trying to get to the very truth of things and looking at them scientifically. And there was a guy who was kind of one of my mentors. His name was Jacques Fresco. He'd been alive for like 103 years and he felt that society really needed to use science as kind of the, um, the barometer for how to make decisions. And if we Correct. did that more often, things would Correct. be better. Right. hundred percent. You know, um, so in any case, now, uh, the real thing, and that's one of the reasons I pulled this up, and I hope to introduce you to this gentleman, but his name is Jonathan Turner. Um, he wrote these, these series of articles trying to sound the alarm that sociology was being completely co-opted by activism to the point that it wasn't even valid science. And the funny thing is, is he's left-leaning in his political views. Most he's like, of it's us not, are. Well, right, yeah. And he's like, it's not that I don't think that these things are important, but you guys are putting stuff out that's not science. You know, and... We, you couple that with like the stuff that you guys discovered was just like, man, if you put out things that fits their message, they're just going to rubber stamp that and say, yep, Correct. that's true. Um, you know, and then like you further couple that with things like the psychology, like reproducibility crisis, replication crisis. Yeah. Re replication crisis is that's in my opinion, extremely scary because we're correct. We're like assigning people their, therapy based on this stuff <laughs> right. like it's, correct. Uh, it's, it's like, totally insane and then right right like lawmakers are making and let's make sure we let's it. make sure we punish anyone who points that out as opposed to actually fixing what's broken right exactly and when you when you couple that with um the power that those social sciences have over our policies right you run into a real problem and the funny well, thing well, that yeah. i yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing, I usually bring this up to uh, uh, people that uh, George Orwell was apparently a socialist, but he wrote those stories, 1984, and you know all that to try to warn people on the left that if you're not careful, that this authoritarian thing can happen to you. Um, and in one of his writings specifically, he said that if you come across something along the lines of like a group of people that seem to be trying to remove. The concept of objective truth that that's Correct. actually a sign that there's an authoritarian something trying to take over you know your your society and he was much more articulate than i just was in paraphrasing him but um so in any case first of all i guess um now that that's all been over and you've talked about a bill you know a million times since then, um, I heard like you guys are still kind of doing that too, and it's still been successful. Like, as in you can still get stuff past these people. Well, I mean, you just you packed a lot in. You packed a lot in there. So sure, you know, uh, if if we if we linger on a few of the things that you said, like the replication crisis, fifty percent of the studies cannot be replicated in psychology, and we're basing treatment modalities on that. We're basing we're te we're still teaching people that, which which I suppose to a certain extent is fine as long as the professor says at the very beginning of class and puts it in the syllabus. And I've gone all around the world and I've asked people these questions, you know, like who's a psychology major? I just got back from Hungary and Romania uh, mm -hmm. for two months there. And I asked those questions in multiple of multiple students in multiple classrooms. And I even had, when I was in college um, of Romania, I had the uh, head of the psychology department come to one of my public lectures and i and i said you know who's heard of the replication crisis 
and nobody raised their hand, but yet there are students who studied psychology. So listen, if you want to teach something that we don't know if it's true or not, and there's a good chance that it's actually not true, you have a an ethical responsibility to tell students right from the get-go, look, we don't know if this is true. We haven't been able to replicate this at this time. Uh, we Maybe you could say it, we hope it's true, but we're not teaching you this as something that's knowledge. We're teaching you this uh, because up until recently, we thought this was true and this may be useful. It may not be useful. In other words, some kind of, I don't know, I just made that up on the spur of the moment, but some kind of caveat to let people know that the things they're learning about or unless they've been replicated, which is a hallmark of science, this is, you know, it's basically a 50% chance that it's not true, but they don't do that. We're not doing that. So that's one thing we can bracket that and come back to it. But you said a lot of things about our institutions being compromised, about the public relying upon uh, the, you know, the engines of knowledge production, the universities that have been captured by a very particular specious and dangerous ideology. Right. And these folks are not only are they controlling the the engines of knowledge production but they are teach they're looking at the university as an ideology mill i've written about this and i've spoken about this you know so at some point we can do this today or not but we need to diagnose what the problem is we need to talk about what solutions to these things are this is an extraordinarily serious problem because we're basing public policies off of information from peer-reviewed journals that in in some cases we pretty much know is false and it hasn't been retracted. And that's like, um, sometimes it makes me wonder if like the psychology rep, rep, um, replication crisis you referred to yeah. could be directly influenced by these kinds of faulty studies that you can just get ramrodded through. I mean, like, let's take the spanking issue, for example, like I'm not... Yeah taking a big stance on it, but like one of the major studies that got passed around for spanking was they literally just took data from kids who were paddled and stuck it with data with kids who were brutally beaten and said, see, all spanking leads to the following detrimental outcomes. So I'm not like trying to be pro spanking about it. It's just, you could never get, you could never get away with that in any science. You couldn't right. like, so, so and, and Denmark passed laws about that. So, so let's say that you have a strong moral impulse about something and mediating spanking. It doesn't matter what it is. And you and your bunch of your buddies who are in academia say, Oh, this is really terrible. That doesn't give you license to make shit up. Right. Right. That, right. So, <laughs> and, and that's one of the reasons that it's just so important. I don't know how I can convey this to people. I don't know anything more I can say than what I've said literally a billion times over we have to have ideological diversity in our institutions and in our academic institutions, particularly like we just, we, this is a non-negotiable thing. Right. If you do not, then people get trapped in echo chambers. This is how you cause what Harvard must call the legitimation or the legitimacy crisis. People don't trust those institutions. Let me just give you a quick example, veer from the spanking for a bit. People will say to me, conservatives, usually not always conservatives, well, why should we trust the the journals, the the data? They'll use air quotes. The data on global climate change. 
and you know whether or not it's anthropogenic caused by humans what why should we trust this if we know that the academy is hijacked by a bunch of left-wing maniacs i mean you yourself pointing to me have said that there's the institutions are ideologically captured the journals are ideologically captured so why should we trust it you know what that's a really good point <laughs> right, right? That, that's that's a terrific point so it, it's like those supreme court justices if decisions if you have you know, nine zero with conservatives and liberals and people all across the spectrum, people will trust that. But if you have a conservative court or a liberal court or in, you know, and those decisions are split, you know, five, four decisions or what have you, intellectual diversity is a necessity if you want public trust to restore public trust in institutions, journals, peer-reviewed literature scholarship we just have to have it is a non-negotiable and we don't have it now right and it's it it creates other problems because like i have an audience that's about like half and half conservative and left-leaning um by design and one of the right. things that i have to constantly remind people is that science is not the problem it's Correct. that once you start getting in just openly engaging in confirmation bias openly engaging in you know, like false, you know, or just omission of information. It's not science anymore. It ceases to be science at that moment. But if we allow these, you know, establishment, you know, like these, you know, these journals that are supposed to be protecting us from that sort of thing to just get away with putting out falsehoods, then people stop trusting science itself as if the scientific method failed, but nobody's following it if that's what we're getting. Yeah. So the, the science should always be objective, but what you do with that science is inherently political. You know, if, if, if you find that we've passed some threshold for warming X 400 parts per billion or what have you, or whatever the, whatever your finding is, uh, what policy you institutionalize, that should be the result of a democratic process. But the science itself should never be politicized. The you know in the in the uh, second Bush administration when they came out with reports on global climate change, the the I can't remember his name, but the lawyer was he was a lawyer. He wasn't even a climate scientist. He was basically taking a red pen and crossing lines out of reports, and then um, those uh, uh, redacted or edited reports, depending on the 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 context would come out as knowledge. So what we're seeing now in aggregate is a result of doing this both on the right and on the right, it's usually political and on the left, it's entirely academic. Like just, I can't think of a single example where it's not. So I will say entirely, if not the qualifier, almost entirely. And as a consequence of that, people don't trust their institutions. They don't trust what's coming out of the institutions. But there's another thing that I think is important to talk about here is that those people who have been uh, indoctrinated through these institutions then go on to become like we've seen in Twitter, in social media, in journalism, in every conceivable field of life, in the military, which we've also seen, in government, in governmental agencies, uh, overseeing regulatory apparatuses. So there is a problem in which because a bunch of lunatics or people who subscribe to an, a dangerous, divisive and pernicious ideology have indoctrinated other people into this ideology, they've they've tested them on the right answers to which, of course, their ideologues, so they happen to know. And then those people go on to occupy positions in, in various fairly high levels of society. And now we're in a fucking crisis because nobody, a, a legitimacy crisis, because people don't trust their institutions. They don't trust the COVID vaccine data. They don't trust the CV, CDC. They don't trust anything. 
And yes, and that that presents a real like one of the things that occurred to me after the COVID thing happened, because like I had read up about what the Spanish flu did. If we ever get something like that, a whole lot more people are going to die just because nobody's going to trust the scientists if they try to warn everyone, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, I'm looking at, sorry to interrupt. Can no, no, I, go ahead. Can, can I just comment on some of the, the uh, comments that are on by the side all means, here? By all means. So someone said the colleges are echo chambers teaching our children who then go on to teach our children. Okay. So Tam said that. So Tam, it's actually worse than that. And this is one of the things that I'm going to do this year uh, with my nonprofit NPA national progress Alliance. If you watch a video on my YouTube channel, it's with Dr. Lyle Asher, and the title is why it's Dr. Peter Bogosian, why colleges are becoming cults. So it's the way that the central point of this is not just universities, but it's teachers, it's teacher training programs, colleges of education. People can't just walk into a classroom and start teaching. You have to have a certificate. You have to have a degree. James Lindsay from New Discourses has wrote about this extensively, and his new book is about this as well. And the, the, those teachers are indoctrinated into a very specific ideology based on a book, Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed, in which you know, the aim of teaching is not to find truth or to um, you know, help people get jobs or for civics or to uphold the democracy. It's to overcome oppression. This is very complicated, but I just want to, to comment on Tam's point that it's not just colleges. It's very it is colleges, but it's very specifically colleges of education and degree granting institutions who give out teaching certificates. And, and that's I, the importance of that literally could not be over. We could do the rest of the hour on that, but I just want to mention that. And then like Christina Hoff Summers pointed out that, so the people with this friend. agenda go get tenure and then they start participating in writing textbooks. Correct. And think, that's think, horrifying. I think I pointed <laughs> that out. A lot of people have pointed it out. Yeah, she's a good friend and I've talked to her about that pretty extensively well, the notion and, and not only not only do they get sorry i keep interrupting i just you're fine you're fine i just have so much on my mind there's like there's just so much i have to have to get out in an hour hey man it's fine of, i have to content dump on you um not only do they do that but as i you know write books etc but this is the important thing they test people on it right there are mm -hmm. right or wrong answers based upon the ideas that they themselves have laundered so they test people on these ideas and pass or become successful when the journals become captured. Okay. What the journals like, I can't remember the, the, the individual's name you, you mentioned who wrote about the problems in psychology Tra Travers or. Uh, oh, now that I've taken it down, I don't, but yes, I'll, I'm yeah. going to bring him to your attention because you should interview him too. Um, I think you'll really like him, but yeah. So, so, uh, so now that there's, uh, there's capture of the journals. If you don't publish something that comports with the journal, the ideological themes in the journal, that won't that won't get into the journal. So you won't be published. And if you're not published, then you're not going to get tenure. So you're going to self-select for for people who are mouthpieces of the dominant moral orthodoxy who kind of write about things that are morally fashionable and then they get positions for life and then they test people on questions, you know, and ask questions, right or wrong questions. If you don't replicate the orthodoxy, boom, you're gone. So this is a problem. This is a horrific problem that is. And his name was Jonathan Turner, by the way. Turner. Okay. <laughs> I felt so stupid forgetting him, but yeah, go ahead. No. Well, the, just the, the basic idea is that, 
the problem self perpetuates. Well, and I think what the reason, like why I talked to Jonathan Turner, like I had stumbled on his paper is just like, we define how we understand reality through the social sciences and we're supposed Correct. to be able to do it in an empirical way. Correct. And if somebody takes control of it, then, you know, I guess, let me give you a, like an excellent example. I interviewed Brett Weinstein Friend and during good, good guy to have on too. One of the yeah. things that I, there was a moment specifically in the whole evergreen thing that really stuck out to me that I didn't think got enough attention, but it was like, it's only on audio. You can find it on um, Benjamin Boyce's little documentary about what happened to him. Another friend of mine. You're naming all my friends today. <laughs> well, hey, make them my friends. I'd love to interview like uh, Boyce and all that. But anyway, yeah. um, there's a specific moment where Brett is starting to make some headway because he's gotten a couple of kids away from the mob. And like somebody kind of overhears, though, we can't have that. So he walks over there to confront Brett. And he's trying to explain, you know, why his email wasn't meant to be offensive. And he doesn't understand how, you know, it would hurt anyone, um, you know. And then he basically says, he screams at Brett, you have to stop demanding that people use logic and reason and white forms of knowledge. And right. I was like, that to me, that was absolutely terrifying because that right. guy was saying that with conviction. You, right. you, what? Who wants you to not use logic and reason? What, and and then they identify well, the, that the, as whiteness. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the so I would have asked, well, what are you going to do next time you have a tooth pain? Right. What are you going to do next time you need to go to a surgeon? Well, though, yeah, that's that's very important. And I think, well, that's have you read the articles about the medical fields getting woke now and like they're going to treat this is all differently and right this is all i do right right I mean, so yeah tri just, triage on the basis of race yeah that but i mean those are crazy. those are but but i wasn't being facetious when i asked that question like what would you do if you want to opt out of logic and reason and empiricism and epistemic adequacy etc what 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 are you what are you going to do i mean are you going to throw away your phone are you going to fly in a plane? What are you going to do if someone you love needs surgery? I mean, those are, I'm, I'm actually not being facetious. I'm being very serious. Right. No, no, I know. And I don't think that they ever consider it that way. I think that at the end of the day, they want to be able to control. It actually reminds me of this moment. Um, the Wachowski brothers were the, or now the Wachowski sisters, I guess, right. but they're not actually very woke. Um, they made the film that V, you know, V for Vendetta. They also made the matrix. So they were forced to make this new Matrix movie because they were told that if they didn't make it, they were just going to find someone else to do it. So like, well, you're not doing that, so I'll do it. But anyway, they always find ways of seeking really important messages into their films. And in this last film, nobody liked it, but I did a review Terrible. on it. Terrible. Because there was one moment, though, that's really important when um, Doogie Howser, forgetting the name of the actor's character, the villain says, well, of course we want everything based on emotion. It's much easier to manipulate emotion than it is to manipulate facts. Right. Like, to me, that's a really critical point. I'm like, well, that's that makes perfect sense. We can manipulate your emotions. You know, like the whole thing that was going on with Brett was we are making everybody emotional. And then in the moment in question, there were people that were saying, well, you made them hurt. Like, you hurt their feelings. So, therefore, you are at fault, even if, you know, like... It's not up to you to decide if you if it was really offensive or not. We will tell you if it is. And that gives right. them like but, a church-like ability to just 
hold crusades that conduct inquisitions that conduct witch hunts to find blasphemers and heretics to excommunicate you know if they can't kill you like <laughs> right so you've hit upon the religious aspect of it and you've also hit on hit upon the aspect of it that justifies censorship that justifies curtailing somebody's speech rights and that is the right for someone not to be hurt for you to not hurt someone's feelings by the things that you say that's far more important than your right to say something and there's actually language in in the lexicon the woke lexicon i call it wokish is like a play on english english wokish you know inclusion that's a, a version of inclusion and that finds its way that's in its in the the woke literature the grievance studies literature so what you said is important for multiple on multiple levels and for multiple reasons but one of those is that it is the justification to censor the speech of others and that's something that like i had a i had a panel of like old school leftists on to talk about this because they're all like don't you guys remember that like there was a time that there were panels of you know, like McCarthyism, you know, going on, like, you know, tracking down and canceling people who even whiffed of communist thought at all, you know, um, making sure they can't get jobs and stuff. And then J. Edgar Hoover, I'm like, the only reason you guys even have anything resembling a leftist movement now is because of freedom of speech. And it's like, they don't understand, yes. well, but now yes. we're winning. So it's okay. Right. Okay. So this is key. This is another important point you, you brought up. So when I was younger, it was the conservatives who wanted to limit speech. I'm 56. Now it's the far left or the left in general who wants to limit freedom of speech. And so I think that I think that this is really important. I don't think that the words right and left mean anything anymore. I mean, they kind of mean something, but a far better descriptor is authoritarian, non-authoritarian. We, and that's the horseshoe theory again. We have people who have authoritarian impulses and they try to discharge those impulses by, among other things, taking away the rights of others, the speech rights, witch trials, McCarthyism. And then we have people who stand up and fight. But the content of those witch hunts differs from age to age, right? There's, there's always a, a new moral heresy that comes up. And so... I, I think if we stop thinking about it in terms of right and left, I don't know if you've seen um, Colin Wright's diagram. It's just genius of the stick figure. If you haven't, it's the one Elon Musk also tweeted out. Uh, if you haven't, I think that's where many of many of us find ourselves. But maybe you could post in here or somebody could post it in here so we can. Oh, THX Excellent 38, great movie. Uh, I'm a science fiction fanatic, um, but but uh, but I think that's a much more helpful heuristic than right and left or conservative. That's kind of why I use the artwork that I do for my show was to, um, and that's one of the reasons why I try to. V. Basically, my old audience was very one-sided, and I when I came back because I took a long break, um, I decided, okay, well, I'm just going to tell you guys as I build this, be aware of the fact that you know whether you're right or left, there's going to be stuff that I say that you're not going to agree with. What I'm more worried about is can we get conversations between what are understood to be the two sides and just to allow the right and left to be descriptors rather than being like cults or yeah, tribes. The, the, I mean, that's a, a good impulse, uh, but, you, but the reason I think that that's set up to fail is because you can certainly get conversations between the two sides. Uh, be, you know, you could have someone from the old left there, Christians, atheists, what have you. But the built into the architecture of the belief of woke belief 
or critical social justice or the successor ideology, as Wesley Yang calls it, whatever you want to call it, regressive left, as Majid Nawaz has called it, is the idea that dialogue, discourse, et cetera, are oppressive in forms of racism. So they won't participate in those opportunities for conversation. They exempt themselves from it. And yeah, and that's very convenient because then they well, never have to defend themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah, then they never have to do any intellectual work. Then they can just smear anyone and everyone they don't like whose ideas they don't like as all as alt right. Well, and you or see, well, yeah, that's that's how Nazis. you end up with these weird situations where Brett Weinstein gets catapulted all the way to the far right somehow. Yeah, he was a Bernie Sanders supporter ever since I've known him. Right, I was open, in sixteen and twenty I, as well. Yeah, an open advocate an open advocate. So it's not like he was a closeted Bernie Sanders supporter. Right. So it was Joe, Joe Rogan, and that doesn't prevent anyone from calling him alt-right. I mean, it's just, so that's the other thing. Okay, so this is, this is a hard pill to swallow, but you have to realize that there are some people who have literally nothing to contribute to a conversation. Right. We are talking about an ideology whose people are its epistemic victims who are caught in its orbit who have nothing to contribute to the conversation literally anything they say is distracting from anything that could be said that's even remotely meaningful so it's very hard for people to swallow this because everybody wants some kind of corrective for their ideas because we all want to believe true things but when you realize it would be like me telling you how to fly a plane i don't have the fucking faintest clue how to fly a plane i guess you'd go like this with the thing i don't even know i have no idea right so you 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 it's a it's a very difficult um it's a very difficult idea to take in oh what do you mean we shouldn't listen to someone well you know we just kicked iran out of the women's uh the the, the un they're no they're no longer in the council for women's rights well but they have no right to be in the council of right it's insane right? right so so um some people have nothing of substance to contribute to a conversation People caught in the woke orbit of woke, woke ideology are invariably in that camp. So there's a clip by, uh, it's a John Cleese clip, and ironically, it's way like more relevant now. But it was like you know, him fans. versus extremism, where he's you know, like he's like, well, if you become an extremist, then you know you can just be a total asshole because you want to feel good, like, and you think you're doing right. this moral justice. And he's like, so just find, you know, he's like, if you're far left, and then you have your approved list of enemies, and he goes down this list of. You know, for more or less same kind of enemies you would see from the left right now. And then, of course, moderates, because <laughs> you can't be moderate either. or You're the enemy. And it's like if you're from the far right, that's OK. Well, here's your list of enemies. And right. so, you know, then you can just, you know, you can basically just be a total dick to everyone and act like you're doing it because these people are just very bad people. You know, and, you know, in that way, you have this like permission slip to be a piece of crap. And, you know, and so. What it's I found more, is, it's it's more than that. Sorry, it's more than it's not ahead. just it's not just permission. It's that you gain status among your tribe. That virtue signaling right uh, gets you followers. It gets you likes. I mean, it's fueled by the poison of social media. Exactly, and that was one of the things that I I've pointed out because that clip was before the internet. I think that was made in like the the seventies, and I was like, now you could do this from the safety of your keyboard. So the problem is so much worse. You know, you don't even have to go to a protest and scream. At yeah, people. that's o o Obama himself. There's a famous clip of Obama saying that. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Of being woke. And and that's why someone wrote in the comments here about liberals and conservatives. Yeah. I mean, liberals and conservatives, 
even though they've almost taken opposite positions they've held. I mean, look at the Ukraine Russia thing. You, know, you right. think conservatives in the 1980s, what do you think they would have gone? They would have gone apeshit over the whole Russian invasion. But now we're seeing something very different. So there's been a kind of a there's been kind of a of a flip there. And you do see a realignment among there's really no politic or polite way to say this among people who are not crazy, right? You, you see a kind of realignment of cons with uh, um, conservatives and liberals. You see a realignment with um, everybody's agreed at least temporarily to put down their sabers until we can get rid of the lunatics. I think I told Glenn Beck it was like, uh, it was like the, uh, 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 I don't know if you've ever seen the World of Warcraft thing, but there's, you know, it's the humans and the, what are they called? The, I'm thinking the, uh, Starcraft, not the Terrans, but you know, the humans and the orcs. And then oh. the other race comes down. It's like, it's like the liberals and the conservatives are fighting, but then this monstrous ideology rears its head that wants to rip down the whole civilization, that being wokeism. So everybody agrees to put down their sabers so they can fight this new metastasizing cancerous ideology. And what I think, and I, I point this out because I was at Occupy when it started and then watched it disintegrate. And when we started, it was a, we are the 99%, one unified tribe. The right. meetings were great. There was color blindness, gender neutrality. Everybody was like a part of this brotherhood, sisterhood. Then um, I want to say, because I did a video specifically about, you can watch the analytics of how all of a sudden the media started changing on the left. But and at the time, Hillary Clinton was running against Bernie Sanders. Right, right. And she point blank said, well, Bernie wants to break up the big banks. But what would that do for the LGBTQ community? What would that do for racism? You know, like and literally this crowd screaming, nothing, nothing. So she distracts away from the very real issues of wealth inequality that Bernie is talking about. Yeah, the traditional left, the values the traditional left has adhered to from. From right founding yeah. and occupy was supposed to be based on and turn it all into that and then literally all of a sudden out of nowhere well there was one other thing ron paul who kind of had a lot of influence on the tea party which was kind of a conservative mirror image in its own way said yeah. hey why don't you guys reach out to occupy because we have some common enemies you know and then right around that time was when all of a sudden these people show up at our occupy camps who want to do these teach-ins to teach all of the, you know, then, and when that happens, all these woke ideological ideas start getting injected into these camps. And then I watched as we became the 13% and the 12% and the, you know, like, well, I'm black and I'm gay and I'm trans. And then you get a progressive stack where all I was of a just going to say that. Yep. I yeah, was just going to say that. Yep. It, it, where it becomes a new hierarchy, supposedly right. in the name of equality. And yeah. And that hierarchy actually manifested itself. And we wrote a paper about this. That hierarchy actually manifested itself among people who wanted to want, ask questions. Like the, those who had the most oppression variables went to the, to the top. Like you see that at concerts, those, you know, black cripple or know, whatever the PC were handicapped lesbian uh, trans women or what have you they go to the front of the concert everybody else white heterosexual cis males goes in the back just a quick comment i i don't think it's true what orange duke says in fact i'm i'm quite certain it's false that liberals always nominate a racial enemy it's the essence of liberalism that's either a profound misunderstanding of what liberalism is in any sense that i've ever heard 
but I'd like to to know where you're you're getting that from. Give historical examples and thinkers, three thinkers from each traditional period who have mentioned that. And if you can't do it, you should have some intellectual integrity and retract that comment. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so what I was going to say was um, this hit us like a sociological bomb. And then it spreads like a virus. And you could tell the difference because I kind of had a, the, because I went to two different camps. I went to Detroit and I went to Flint. Flint never had these teach-ins. So yeah. not only was there way less strife, it was much more productive. We had better living conditions. We had much more cooperation. There wasn't all of this. Let's make sure no white males are talking. Let's, you know, like none of right. that was going on. So it was so much better. And it also lasted longer than the Detroit Correct. camp did. So anyway, Crystal Ball and Ryan Grimm recently both sounded the alarm that that infection never ended because now the Sunrise Movement is tearing itself apart and so many other left-leaning groups are doing it. Because what ends up happening when you've witch-hunted everyone, you run out of witches, then you start tuning on each other to figure out which one of you is the more... Co co correct. You, you see that? That's called the Uberos in Greece. Uberos, the, the uh, snake that eats its own tail. This is what... Uh, is the an inevitable endpoint of of woke ideology. By the way, I um, ran into somebody the other day. I gave a, a guest lecture downtown, and I went to my former university. I ran into somebody before I went there, and I I had seen this guy around. I didn't really know who it was. I certainly didn't know his name. And he comes over to me and he says, "You know, hey," and he kind of whispers. There's like literally nobody around. It's cold. There's nobody around. He comes over to me, watch. He was like, "Hey, you know, I really want you to know, you were right. This place is crazy. Like we've gone too far." And I'm like, "Are you kidding me? Like it took how many years did it take you to figure that out?" But my my suspicion is based upon something you said. My guess is that they had come for him, right? I, there's a line in um, there's a line in Plato's Republic about. Let's see if I can remember it. Um, it's um, uh, he. I can't he, like he who does not repudiate injustice calls forth the reproaches of those who revile injustice, something like that. But basically the idea that uh, it's only when something un unjust happens to you that you start screaming about it. It's never when you're perpetrating the injustice or you're just sitting around watching the, the office of diversity, like witch hunt completely innocent people and they know it. Um, but I just thought that that, I just thought that that was so interesting. And, and I, I do think to extend your comment further, I do think that, we are now at a moment where the tide has changed. I know people disagree with me, like um, Michael Schellenberger and others. Um, Miles Ian Chung disagrees with me. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but I think that that something has changed, and and you know we've gone from the waxing and the waning, uh, and woke ideology is increasingly more people are realizing it's crazy, and many of those people are realizing it's crazy because it's the snake that ate its own tail, right? One of the things that I always found intriguing was that when this started, I thought to myself, if we were a racist society, for example, people, um, you know, would, would, you know, basically would not care about being called racist. Like, Correct. it's like, okay, fine. Yeah, whatever. You know, and if you talk to members of racist organizations, they don't care if you call them racist, with the exception of the, the black racists who've been told they can't be racist, of course. But that's though that's in the literature for how race is theorized with the new d development of power now, the inclusion of power. Yeah, right. So 
the next thing you know about it was then I realized now we have gotten to a point that we have used the accusation so much that now people don't care about being called racist anymore. You know, yeah, like it's I, like we've come full circle. Yeah, a lot of people have said that. I do think that the word racist has a lot of power, but I don't think it has anywhere near the power that had to. Remember, that was really the only tool in their toolkit. That was the main tool that they used to facilitate social change. I mean, the, you know, they used other words, bigot, Nazi, etc. cetera. Um, just uh, highlighting a super chat. Go ahead. <laughs> I think he's yeah, just yeah. being silly, but he wanted to donate. Go ahead. <laughs> to my pansexual neurodivergent Cambodians. Yeah, that's that's kind of what someone else said. That's, that's where the... Uh, there is no endpoint to intersectionality. The individual is the endpoint to intersectionality. But... No, I do think that the tide is turning. I do think that people are just sick of this shit. They're just sick of it. And they're looking for a way out. I think that what it was is that it kind of just had to come down to people getting the courage to do it. It's like John McMorder said, you yeah. know, we have like to racism. just stop. We have to start standing up to them. Like that has to happen. Right. You know, and that's what I did from the beginning. And that's why I was, I was bringing up the catapult all the way to the far right thing. And it's like, when you tell them this, so for example, when I'm arguing with them, I'm like, how can I be on the far right? Do you, you like, or let's say they label Tulsi Gabbard on the far right. Now, as far as I know, she hasn't changed the majority of her platform, but the majority of her platform is very similar to Bernie Sanders. So how can she be far right and be pro healthcare? How can she be far right and be pro free college? How can, okay. Like that, so, like, so, so, okay. So that's, so if I may, that, I think that, I think that's a mistake. So I'm looking back in the chat here and that guy, I don't know, see him anymore, but uh, Orange Duke or whatever. So instead of him saying, oh, well, I'm wrong, or instead of him saying, here's an example how race was used in periods of, of, of when people call themselves liberals and here are some thinkers, et cetera, he just calls someone a moron, right? right. So that's the kind of response. I mean, I, I, I guess you have to ask how valuable is your time? If right. you know someone doesn't value, or not only doesn't value, but opts specifically and intentionally opts out of reason, empiricism, et cetera, science, if you know that they've opt out, opted out of that and you know that you're not a Nazi or a racist or a bigot or a homophobe or any of those things, I mean, at some point you just cannot, and this is the, the hard pill to swallow, you just simply have to not listen to these people anymore. When I did a video specifically going after John Stewart's like uh, trans position, oh, and, I, yes. you know, and I debunked a bunch of it with science. This is actually the only thing I've ever had my life threatened and had myself doxxed over was just making a video about what the science actually says about trans athletes. But anyway, they a group of kids jumped me in my discord to try to debate me about it. And at one point, you know, they try to count how many pronouns I used for one of the people I was talking about that was incorrect or whatever. And I just, I just straight up told them, I literally don't care if you think I'm transphobic. The people who are trans in my life know better. And you would have assumed I was a transphobe just because we even had this conversation. My point is, is that when I just said, I do not care if you call me transphobic. Correct. Period. It like paralyzed them. Yeah, like, you should read. Moment. You should totally read Andrew Andrew Doyle's new book, The New Puritans. It's fantastic. It's on that and what stopped the Salem witch trials and how to stand. I don't even give these people the time of day anymore. I mean, literally do not respond. I do not think that they are sincere actors. 
I do not even think that they're sincere in their virtue signaling. I don't think they believe it. Uh, and I just won't give them the time of day anymore. Nothing. What, I, not even a single consideration. That you do that I like, which is something I sometimes do in debate, but you can, you know, is what I call is like the slow burn. Like when you do those um, thought experiments, you know, at the mm. college campuses. And well, people love those, man. And it's because the funny thing is, is that you're just asking them the questions and just allowing them to expose themselves at that point. Correct. And like, you know, and that's so much more effective in the long run. And I often wonder if any of them ever look back and think on it, um, you know, like whether or not any of them ever changed their minds. But that's a great question. That's a wonderful question. So uh, I just, as I said, I just got back from Hungary and Romania and I did two months of those. I'm going to Puerto Rico and Australia. I'm going to do uh, another month or two of those. I would love to know that question. There was one video I did where a bunch of people who were completely ideologically captured came down from the rooftop. It's the pinned uh, YouTube video on my oh, channel. Oh yeah, that was the first like, one I saw. Yep, I'm very yeah, familiar. Confrontation at PSU is like 1.3 million last time I looked uh, uh, views. I would love to know the answer to your question, V. I would love to know what those people thought of that video because to the external world, it seemed like there was overwhelming evidence that those people should be in some kind of a sane asylum. And again, there's a difference between me being on the street and engaging people I don't know. And I'm talking, when I say I don't get engaged, I'm talking on social media specifically because I do not believe that they're good faith actors. Right. And I think that, well, in some of them, though, they seem to be fanatical enough that they've kind of brainwashed themselves. But Correct. It, but when you've been robbed of logic and reason because you've identified that as a white thing, you know, like Correct. a... Was it, I think Robin D'Angelo was the one that made that infamous Smithsonian slide that identified scientific method, rational, linear thinking as whiteness, aspects of white culture. Are you familiar uh, with what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I believe that was actually at the Smithsonian. Right. It was, and they put it on the website and then they got took it got taken down, but they didn't retract it. They didn't say they didn't agree with it. They just kind of said, well, it wasn't getting the effect we wanted, but you know, the idea that you can literally identify, because it, it's the other thing is, one of the things that's the most dangerous when we talk about the the sociology co-opting in particular was that this, when they try to say these things like, well, the sociological definition of racism, which they just keep repeating like Goebbels, they're going to keep lying and saying this is what racism actually is, even though no credible uh, uh, dictionary has yet to approve this crazy version. Oh, they've changed no they've changed it to privilege plus power the cambridge dictionary just changed the definition of oh woman man i missed that as somebody yeah as, as somebody who uh, lives uh, self-identifies and adopts one so that's the other part of the legitimacy crisis is that woke people have gotten into dictionaries they've gotten <laughs> they've just i mean really i mean this is such an unbelievable i mean it's such a crazy problem i want to take a look at real quick at Go what ahead. rb said um about how to deal with those people i wrote a book on that how to have impossible conversations to have those conversations that you you think are impossible yeah i just wonder how to get through to people that have adopted those these ideas without giving them yeah so when i say cutting ties i'm specifically talking about social media and i i should have been more clear about that but everything you need to know is in the book and people have you don't even have to buy the book although it's great if you do I appreciate your support but people have written cheat sheets about it and uh, it's not particularly complicated. You you just have to uh, you just have to slow down and take a few minutes and just follow the template. It's right there. And so, 
to to comment further though on how you do reach people um daryl davis seems to be turning woke now i don't know what's going on with that but it's unfortunate but his method of reaching ku klux klan members is very similar to the methods that jock fresco used for example to deal with his mother's racism when you have some kind of crazy ideology like that you have to disarm it like a bomb like you have to figure out ways around their defenses and one of the things that daryl said because i proposed the question to him you go to clan rallies as a black man and you change people's minds if you brought a bunch of black lives matter militant protesters to one what would happen he's like well <laughs> nobody's minds are going to be changed you know correct and and it's that's only going to worsen that's correct and the problem that's why i also always bring up that john cleese clip because these people are addicted to their rage you know, they're addicted to their their cause. And it's almost like when Daryl Davis went to it was Baltimore to talk to BLM, they like threatened him to leave, like they were going to yeah. beat him up or something. And, and it, that was the crazy part. If you look at what he put on Facebook, his Facebook post is like, I've been called everything in the book. And he listed the what he even called, but never in my life did I think I'd be called a white supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Right? It was a very interesting Facebook post. But again, I, I really want to punch this home that's why i keep telling you you cannot listen to these people they're mm -hmm. think they're calling daryl davis a white supremacist okay they have nothing of substance to add nothing so it's a waste of time to spend one instant even thinking about them they're just not they have automatically discredited themselves they need to go to the kitty table well i totally agree with you i guess the question then becomes the only thing that can be a problem is when some of their rhetoric, say, for example, spews out of President Biden's mouth or somebody actually in a position of authority to do something. Um, so we had I feel that we still need to find ways to combat it. It's a question of you know, maybe it's a matter of don't let it get to you, uh, you know, because we well, have that, to be it, right. It gets to a lot of people. And, and don't forget now the you know, we could talk about the Biden administration, but I I just don't think that this is a political thing. I will acknowledge that it's certainly found on on one end of the political spectrum far more than the other, but the other end of the political spectrum has its own unique set of dysfunctions. It's just that it's just that the left right now happens to control major institutions, which is the problem. And up until recently, they just controlled Twitter, and we saw what a shit show that was. And if you haven't been, I just listened to Brendan O'Neill's podcast today with Robbie Suave from reason he did a fantastic job about the treachery and duplicity and lying that was was happening at, at twitter and if if you haven't read those tweets from michael schellenberger and barry weiss and matt taibbi they're well worth your time uh again just in terms of duplicity but when you talk about dealing with people you know or, or engaging people or trying to befriend people this is not a particularly complicated thing again i wrote a whole book about how to do that but we're talking about something more fundamental and more insidious to, to our democracy when we're talking about this as a cultural product that's invaded our institutions. Like that's what I'm talking about. And that is an incredibly dangerous problem that we face now. I agree I, wholeheartedly. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't want to minimize it. Don't get me wrong. I have personally lost very close friends of mine, three I can think of who have become, they've been infected by the woke virus. People have been friends of mine. They've been in my house. They've been in, and, and uh, now their cognitions are warped and deranged. Um, and so, so, so the problem operates on multiple levels at an individual level. And how do we deal with people who have been affected by this mind virus to not lose those friendships? That's a very difficult 
especially if you've spoken out against the orthodoxy, or if you if they view you as an apostate, that's even more difficult. Uh, and then we have the problem of institutional capture, because we know that this is not going on in our, I don't want to say enemies, that might be too strong of a word. Uh, let me just say our economic competitors like China. And speaking of China, um, are you familiar with the uh, with the lectures of Yuri Bezmenov? Yes. And Excellent. His point about like there's so many times when I hear his words in my mind when he says he's Russian though, not Chinese. Well, well, right, but he made points that kind of I think apply, and I honestly almost kind of feel like what the KGB did is now like a like you know how you you keep finding mines in the ocean that were laid from World Correct. War Two. Yeah. Yep. And so it's still there doing its job. And the people that they radicalized are still in our institutions. Correct. Um, and then China, of course, would probably see that as beneficial to them. And then you look at TikTok, the well, way well, you, you kind of destroy you, our kids. A hundred percent. Well, we we know it is. We know it is. Faisal Al-Mutar from Ideas Beyond Borders was telling me that uh, um, through the Gulf states, the, the Chinese are putting out prop BLM propaganda. Right, right. As, as a way to div divide us, and we know what you just said about TikTok. We we know that uh, there are hostile forces at play by seeding a dangerous, pernicious ideology and allowing it to fester. We know that the Confucius Institutes do this. I mean, we th these things are known to us, but in democracy, we're a little slower. We're like the tugboat that tries to move the massive boat. We're a little bit slower to change our. Our course to course correct, and so it's more more difficult to deal well, with these things. The point that keeps coming back to my head: there's two of them, but the one of the major ones is once a society has been idea, you know, basically ideologically subverted, real information no longer matters to them. Like, and he referenced like I could take them to the by force to the Soviet Union right now and show them the concentration camps, and they still wouldn't believe it. That was the one example he was getting at, but that real information no longer matters to them thing is so important. Like they're shitting all over Matt Taibbi right now, right? Just for revealing what was already there. Well, of and, course they, they have to shit on Taibbi. They have to shit on Schellenberger. They have to shit on Barry Weiss. But again, that's I guess that's the emerging theme of it's this. It's like show. they're not arguing that he's wrong or that the information is inaccurate. They're just you're a bad Correct. person for sharing it. Like, so why do you why listen to them at all? They have again, they have nothing of substance to contribute. If that's right. the best that they could do. If look, look, if you want to present your if you want to go to the, the big the big table where the adults talk, you need to present arguments, reason, and evidence. And absent this. Like you threw off that guy in the channel because he called someone a fraud and a moron. I think he called me a moron. I'm called a moron constantly. But um, you threw him off the channel. Uh, in the same way, you just there have to be some voices you just don't listen to. Right. Yeah, that was actually a, one of my mods did that. Mary Todd, who's actually a, a journalist who exposes Antifa activists, and they're a big, huge fan oh, of yours. Good. So I'm sure that she's very happy to see her on my show. Oh, that's good. Between you was... and James Lindsay, they watch all of your stuff. Oh, well, thanks. I was just at Andy Knows trial. Andy's a, a, a friend of mine. I've known him from PSU. He does incredibly good work, and it is amazing what they do to him. Like, truly remarkable. So um, I promised you that you'd only be on for about an hour today. It, it, like the time went by so fast. Um, yeah. Do you have anything you want to, because I have just, I'm completely slammed. I have to get totally, up 3.30 totally. a.m. for just, a uh, Basically, well, for one thing, I want to make sure that you tell everybody about what's going on with you. Where can they learn about you? Where uh, they can they learn about your work? 
Uh, Dr. Peter Bogosian, Dr. Peter B O G H O S S I N, is my YouTube channel. Uh, we're at 119,000 subs, which I'm pretty happy about. And we do these really cool things. I, I'm going all around the world: Puerto Rico, Estonia, Australia this year. And I'm going to get more of these videos. You know, when I was in Hungary, I would ask people, "Is it better to be ruled by the United States or uh, Russia?" And then we put people on lines that they self-divide on and then we ask them what it would take to change their mind and they're really cool they're cool enough of course the content is all free uh boy i have so much stuff going on twitter i'm at peter bogosian i tweet kind of uh probably should pay way more attention to what i tweet i'm always amazed that people take it <laughs> take it so seriously i mean it's twitter um oh and i appreciate that uh bobby b that's very kind of you yeah i got a lot of stuff going on i got a, a manuscript i'm i'm finishing and um I'm working. I'm a founding faculty member for the University of Austin, so I'm doing a lot of that now. Um, and that's a new university. Actually, that's that's you know, people say, well, how do you get out of this madness? How do you fight this craziness? Well, one of the ways that you fight it is you build new things, right? We we build new institutions, more resilient institutions from the ground up, uh, and we put in prophylactics against madness. We embed them into the structure. So that's what the University of Austin's doing now. Oh, thanks. Oh, and I'm on Substack too. Yeah, thanks, Mary. I'm on Substack. I have a, a, a column that comes out. I do AMAs. I do a ton of stuff. So I'm I'm doing the best that I can. Listen, man, listen to me. Nobody can ever accuse me of not having worked hard enough to make our society more sane and more compassionate and more civil. So that's what I'm trying to do. And it's been, it's been, it's been an uphill fight, I tell you. Like truly uphill fight. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. The one major point that I still had stuck in my head that I wanted to share regarding Twitter was that I had reported on this a while ago, and actually the mainstream media talked about it. So it's not yeah. even Alex Jones kind of stuff, but they caught the military um, developing software to create armies of false um, identities on the internet to sway public opinion. Have and you ever they seen, did that. Yeah. Have you ever seen a Russian bot farm, by the way? Have you ever watched the little videos of it? <laughs> no, but I'll check it out. But it's, it's crazy. Yeah, go ahead. They asked for the development of this software in response to another study, and I can send these to you, that they found that um, their math is, is that if you can convince about 25% of a society of a given idea, that it'll create like a sociological you know, uh, chipping point chip. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like a, uh, you know, just all the dominoes falling kind of thing. And then you can get a whole society. So that's why they're panicking about Twitter. That's why, you know, they're, they want to control the media so heavily. And then I did a video not long ago about this weird mantra of this is very dangerous to our democracy. And I put that in quotes, our, as in they own it, not your democracy, their democracy. Um, you know, so that's why I, you know, um, I feel that that in particular should really creep people out because, um, and it's getting reported on again as if it's new. And I'm like, well, actually, that was in The Guardian and on like ABC a really long time ago. Um, but the fact that they know that if they can sway that many people, that they can get, you know, a certain effect, that that's, I think, what they're fighting over. That, that's what I think they're hoping to achieve. Um, and it's really dangerous. So thank you very much. If you don't mind, I'd like to talk to you extraordinarily briefly right after we go off the air just for a sure. second. My um, pleasure. Thanks for me and thanks for the the great questions and thanks there, strategic eyes. Uh, thanks to everybody. I appreciate your comments, et cetera. Absolutely. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. Um, I'll be doing some more content. I'm sorry that I was kind of slow there for a bit. I was fighting with whether or not I had liver cancer. 
So far, it looks like I'm okay, uh, but things at home have been pretty crazy. I'm probably going to have to move very suddenly. So if stuff ever slows down a little bit, that's probably why. <laughs> thanks again for all of your support. Yeah. All right. Yeah, no problem. All right. So thanks again, guys, for tuning in tonight. Take care.